Fridays on the Huge Show across Michigan are presented by Van Andel Arena, DeVos Performance Hall, and DeVos Place in downtown GR. Here's what's on the schedule. May 31st through June 2nd, Taylor Tomlinson at DeVos Performance Hall in GR. June 2nd, Chris Stapleton at Van Andel Arena. June 8th through the 11th, the Golden Girls at DeVos Performance Hall in downtown GR. June 10th, Quinn 92, the People's Tour at Van Andel Arena. Those tickets and all tickets on sale at Ticketmaster.com. June 16th, Nickelback at Van Andel Arena. June 21st, John Mellencamp, live in concert at DeVos Performance Hall. June 24th, C.S. Lewis on stage at DeVos Performance Hall. June 27th, Morgan Wallen at Van Andel Arena. June 29th, Dude Perfect at Van Andel Arena. Again, those tickets and other shows at Ticketmaster.com and also AXS.com. And May 30th through June 17th at DeVos Place in downtown Grand Rapids, the Youth Art Show will take place on June 3rd and 4th. The MJVBA State Championships, Michigan Junior Volleyball Association, AAU Championships will take place at DeVos Place in downtown GR. Fridays on the Huge Show Across Michigan are presented by Van Andel Arena, DeVos Place, and DeVos Performance Hall. On today's broadcast, we look back at my conversations with Gold Star families in West Michigan about their sons making the ultimate sacrifice for the United States of America. Bill Simonson here, and I want to introduce the Burry family to everybody listening across Michigan or worldwide at thehugeshow.net. Now, I came across Eric Burry and his ultimate sacrifice story via Johnny Brand Sr. When Johnny told me about John Burry, his dad, and said, the Burry family's awesome, Bill, and you need to look at the story of Eric Burry. Well, I went online, and I found out that he died serving his country at the age of 21. Grew up in Wyoming, Michigan, here on the west side of the state. Went to Kelloggsville High School. Was a guy that cared about people and also wanted to see the world. Was an exchange student during his high school days. Went to Uruguay, and he chose uh, to help fight for freedom. And he was inspired not only by his country, but what he saw while serving in the military. And ultimately, on June seventh, two 2005, Eric Burry made the ultimate sacrifice for America, and his father, John Burry, uh, joins us in studio to take us through the life of his son, who died at the age of 21. And, John, thanks for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. Well, tell me about your son, Eric. And, you know, I know all of our children are special to us, but when he was growing up, what type of kid was he? Well, first of all, Eric, you know, he was our third son, Second born, we had lost our first born at birth years before, and we adopted a son from Calcutta, India, our son Andrew, and then Eric was born. So he was a special kid, being that we actually were able to bring this one home from the hospital. And uh, we uh, always knew we were blessed by being able to do so. And uh, but we're also very thankful for the chance of adoption because without that, we wouldn't have become a family in the beginning. And Eric looked up to his big brother. You know, he always had that little competition between them, as brothers would do. And uh, But, yeah, he was the kid that uh, – typical kid, you know, 
played t-ball as a little guy growing up he was involved in some sports throughout his school year he he did uh track in the middle school he did a relay team in middle school um the uh, uh he did cross country so you know he liked to compete he liked to put himself out there and uh he was my adventuresome son. My wife is Joe Amberry, and that we always knew Eric was a little high spirited, always on the go. But he was our adventuresome boy. He uh, was the kid that would go to Cedar Point and go on the roller coasters with me, and uh, he was the kid that went with me to the Grand Canyon, and we hiked down into the canyon and slept two nights in the open on the canyon floor. And um, yeah, you know, he came home from school one day and. He said, well, Mom and Dad, he says, I did it. We said, what'd you do? He says, I signed up. I took the first step to join the military. And part of his reasoning for that was also was he kind of remembered about, you know, what happened on 9-11. And I think that kind of stayed with him as a kid and growing up. So he wanted to go out in the world and, and make a difference. So um, so he joined. And uh, we were, we were <laughs> I can't say we were apprehensive about it. We just, you know, there's a time you got to let your kid grow up. You got to let them li- live their life and you got to let them go. So I, I, I'm talking about a time of letting go. I also can remember him coming home one time and he had just finally gotten his driver's license. And after a few months of driving, he came to us one day. He said, Mom and Dad, he says, can I take the car and drive over to Michigan State? There was a meet and greet going on. He wanted to meet the players and get autographs of that. And I looked at my wife, and we looked at each other. He's got to let him do it sometime. And, you know, he was so grateful and thankful when he came home that evening. I got all the autographs and stuff he was showing us. And, you know, I'm so glad we let him do it. Was he a Michigan State fan? He certainly was. He was a big Michigan State fan because his uncle David Walgren uh, graduated college from Michigan State. In fact, our, uh, his uncle David passed away unexpectedly, and Eric came home on leave to be with family shortly right after. And, and that was a uh, few weeks before he would make the ultimate sacrifice for correct. his country. That's correct, yes, yes. He came home on leave, spent a little time with us, and uh, happened to go across over to Saginaw to meet the young lady that he had met online while in 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 the military. He was in Kuwait at that time. Met this gal online, came home to be with family, and then he had to go visit this girl who they had gone out shopping for rings. <laughs> they were talking marriage. That quick, yeah. huh? Yeah, that quick. Yep. He, uh, and he he's was, 21 at this time, right? Correct. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, he was this is uh, early. That would be late May, right around this time, 2005, right? That's right. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's 14 years ago, June 7th, that we had lost him. So, you know, each year that goes by. People would say, does it get any easier? And I've learned to say from someone else that experienced the same thing in their life, they say it doesn't get easier, but it gets softer. You know, it's always going to hurt, especially when the holidays come up, the birthday, the date of that death, the family gatherings, or he's no longer at that table, you know. So it's it's not easy. It don't get easier. There's never closure. I hate the saying when they say, well, now they have closure, but there's never closure because they're never here. How many grandkids would we have had? Eric liked kids. You know, in fact, when he was in Iraq, the one time he had written home, there were so many kids here that they didn't have shoes, and I wish we could give them mine. So he was and, talking about he, he felt uh, this kindred spirit towards 
the Iraqi children living in poverty yes. while he was serving America. Yes, 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 he did. And it's, that was the type of person he was. Yeah, he was, you know, he would. He came home on leave. He went and mowed the neighbor's lawn. She was a widower, and he noticed the lawn needed mowing. And I can remember the neighbor lady sharing the memory of that and how much joy it brought me. And knowing that she was taken by him helping her out while he was home on leave that time. So it's a good memory. You know, and, uh, there's one memory I always share. You're not a Marine by any chance, are you? No, no. Oh, okay. No. Whenever I meet a Marine, I have to share this story with them. And uh, so for any Marines that are listening, if this is aired here, uh, I want you to pay close attention. <laughs> Eric was telling his dad, he says, we're coming into this town one day, and it's a roadblock. He said, it's a hot zone. We had In, a, in Iraq. In right. Iraq. He said, we had to take the detour. He said, yeah, we're taking this detour. He said, it's nothing but a mud pit. He said, each vehicle's getting stuck. We're pulling them out one at a time. He said, Dad, we're pulling out my vehicle, and we see flashes coming from the hillside. So we, I'm thinking, you're getting shot at. He said, no, Dad. So we take out our binoculars to see what's going on. He says, it was the Marines taking pictures. He says, those Marines. So, <laughs> so that's why it's a... You know, it's a it's a fun story to share, even though there was a, came to a tragic end. You know, but it's a good memory, and so I share it with every Marine I can, and I shake my hand at him, saying, "You Marines, you." <laughs> well, I see you wearing uh, a lot of red, white, and blue. Patriotic. Would you say that uh, the Burry family, growing up in Wyoming, Michigan, uh, that there was a lot of patriotism? You mentioned that Eric uh, was inspired by nine eleven and what happened in post. Uh, 9-11, or did the patriotism really become part of your soul after Eric gave his life fighting for America? Yeah, I I would say that. I says, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to say that. Growing up, I never thought that much about Veterans Day or Memorial Day. Just a typical person growing up. A lot of us don't unless there's a connection. Yeah, and so when this happened, it's made me stop and realize just how much every military man and woman are willing to do for strangers. And I have to go back and I apologize. Whenever I see a veteran, I always make sure I shake their hand and thank them for their service. Because who else would be willing to give their lives other than our law enforcement, you know, for strangers, for people you don't know? No, and those, that's a special breed of a man and woman in law enforcement or the military who choose, who are inspired. And you know, we've heard the stories of Pat Tillman, who was a high profile NFL player who was inspired by. Post 9-11, uh, you mentioned your son. I've heard, you know, Ross Smith. Uh, we go down the list, uh, these Gold Star families and these young men. Because as I'm reading the biography and the background on your son, I stop and I look at the age. And I, and I see 21. Yeah. And, I, and I think of, of, of what these young men and women, law enforcement and the military, that every day they leave their base, every day they leave... Uh, their precinct or their substation or their headquarters. They don't know if they're coming home, and they have that will to die for others. I think that's something that you cannot be taught. It's in your soul. It's in your DNA. Yep. I remember him saying to me one time shortly after he first joined and took that first pledge, he says, you know, Dad, he says, I'm not afraid to die. (laughs) He said this right when he joined the military. But he first joined before he graduated high school, he took that first step where they went and pledged. And, you know, so it was like, it's just kind of like he might have had a premonition as time went on. But uh, 
you know, like I said, we had to let him grow up. We had to let him go. We had to let him do his thing. I mean, that's what life is about. It's not always easy being a parent when you have to discipline your kids and lay down that tough love. And, Amen. And then when it's time to let him go and grow up and walk out that door. But he wanted to be in the military. He was a parachute rigger with an 82nd Airborne 623 Quartermaster. And another thing I'll always remember him saying was, you know what's neat about being a parachute rigger, Dad? Nobody messes with you. <laughs> yeah, they want to make sure you get it right. You want to make sure you did it right. And, uh, you know, he was just, like I said, it was that adventuresome boy and, and always on the go. And I've kind of liked that even to this day. And now I realize why he was always so busy. He had a lot to accomplish in this short time on Earth. And so when he said uh, he came home that day and mom and dad, I'm, I'm, I'm joining the military. And you talked about your apprehension. Uh, he talked to you about the honesty of, you know, I could die serving my country. Uh, what was it like early on uh, in his military career up until that day uh, when you got the knock at your door that he had died in Iraq? Well, he was just doing his typical thing, getting his training at the different bases and then, uh, you know, uh, enjoying it, enjoying his military time. Uh, I know he came home on leave the fun time and he, he bought his first car. And he says, now I got my car, I can drive back and forth on leave. Well, he drove it back to the base, and the next time we got a call, he said, I'm just flying home. <laughs> it was too much. Yeah, for North Carolina, right? For, yeah, 14-hour for drive by himself. He just wanted to fly home. But, you know, he just, I do remember one of his uh, fellas that he roomed with there on base said he hated to see Eric have to go. Because he said he was the neatest, the cleanest roommate I had here at Fort Bragg. <laughs> so, you know, it was kind of neat. We've still had some contact with his former military men and women. A couple of them have come to visit and stand at his graveside. And uh, there are others that still want to come and that we stay in touch with through Facebook. His name is John Burry. His son, Eric Burry, made the ultimate sacrifice for America on June 7th, 2005 in Baghdad. Uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. He was a free spirit, a guy who didn't think long and hard and just came home and told his parents, I'm joining the military. And at the age of 21, uh, the ultimate sacrifice. So before you get the news uh, that Eric had died uh, while being deployed in Iraq, how long was he in the military, and how long did he plan on staying in the military? Well, at first he talked about being a lifer, and then he met this girl online and decided, no, Dad, I'm going to do my four years and get in and get out, because <laughs> he planned he was going to get so married. So he had maybe another year left, right, in the military? Well, he joined, uh, he graduated 2003, he went right off to base then, so he's only in a couple of years before he was killed. So he gets so. deployed, now when he gets deployed to... Iraq, uh, your thoughts uh, when you get that news? Well, you know, I put him in God's hands, and we just had to have faith and trust that things would go well and he would come home. You know, but he came home, unlike some that are missing in action, you know, and, and he came home just not the way we had hoped, but he came home. In the conversations you had with him, uh, from Iraq, uh, what were they like in the war zone? He, you know, he told you about the kids with no shoes, and he wanted to give them uh, the shoes off his feet. He felt yep. that kindred spirit towards uh, the children who are victims of war and poverty. Uh, what were those conversations like uh, with you and your family? 
You know, it, it gave us comfort knowing that he was appreciative of what he had here in America, knowing what he's seen over there in the poverty and the children. And uh, so it gave us great comfort, you know. And um, we just, I have no regrets that he lived his life how he wanted to and no regrets that we didn't discourage him from joining the military because that's who he wanted to be and who he wanted to become. I hear from so many Gold Star families that I've talked to about their sons who have made the ultimate sacrifice and how all of them in unison echo what you say, Mm -hmm. that their son lived his life to the fullest. This is what he wanted to do Mm -hmm. and that he cared about his country. And you get this duty, honor, courage, (laughs) all these things that uh, define your son and these great men and women who serve today and who have served this country just like law enforcement and so it's june 7th um you get is it uh a knock at the door is it a an email a call uh they always tell me come, they come they to come the door first right the door, yeah. there, there's no you, you get no word before the knock on the door you know i had a dream one night and it was dark there was a caravan going along. There was an explosion. I saw this Humvee This jump is before he, he before dies. Before this. And I don't know how much time was in between because I think I blocked that out. And But I just, afterwards, you just realized God was trying to give me a heads up. When our firstborn had died, a little over three hours after being born, I was coming down Kalamazoo Avenue, returning to the hospital, when I crossed these railroad tracks and the thought went through my head, it must be awful to tell somebody their baby died. So I think God in this mysterious way was trying to give me a heads up so I was ready for the blow, you know. And it just, it's an ugly thing to happen. War is not a win-win situation, really. You know, there's death on both sides. Those that we call our enemies, they're losing family. We're losing family. But I always say there's no true winners in war. But but things happen. Eric wanted to be a part of something that he wanted to help make the world a better place. And uh, this one year we did the shoe drive in his memory. And thousands of pairs of shoes were donated. And and uh, Baby Bliss had closed. And one of the guys there says, go into the factory, gather up what you want, ship it over there along with the shoes. Back, back to Baghdad. Back to Baghdad. So he, in conversations with you... And a photo on the card you gave me of Eric Burry, specialist in the Army, standing with an Iraqi child. That yeah. after after his death, you you did a a a, a shoe drive. Yep. And in his name, hundreds of shoe pairs of yep. shoes were sent back to Baghdad. Yeah, it was amazing. The people mm. just sent them from all over, or sent money to help get shoes. And Blackwater at the time. They took their time to take the shoes over there. They were part of delivering them. Yeah, the Blackwater, which was contracted uh, specialist by the government, Correct. right? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Eric was also, his portrait was also used for Hometown Hero for Art Price 2014. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, I do. His portrait was used as uh, Pamela Alderman came to us and wanted to use him. And, and that wasn't just about the military his portrait was being used to help make people stop and think, who was that special person in your life that you looked up to as your hero? And that was the best year she ever done for all of Art Prize, every year that she participated. So we could be more prouder of, of people are 
knowing about our boy and getting to know that he was willing to put his life out there for all, you know. And I mentioned that Johnny Brand Sr., uh, I think the Eric Burry uh, portrait and flag fly at Leonard on the location there. Yes, his flag's up there, his name's above the flag, and then uh, Pamela Alderman gave Johnny a uh, portrait of Eric that, he put that in, was in, similar in to what she had done for Art Price as a thank you. Had the brands on Leonard, and yeah. how about Johnny Brand Sr., Tommy Brand, Mike Brand Sr., the Brand family, what they have done uh, to honor our true hometown heroes in West Michigan and all across this state. Uh, their brand, Steakhouse and Grills, that is truly special, isn't yeah, it? It really is special. The brands have a special place for us in our heart. You know, Tommy, being our representative, created that bill to have the sections of 131 named after the three boys from Wyoming. Which, by the way, this is I get goosebumps. <laughs> after I sent you a Facebook message asking if you could come in studio and just tell me about Eric's life, Right, I'm driving along. I think I'm going to one of my kids' soccer games. And there it is. Yeah. A portion of, is it 131, right? 131 from 54th yes. Street to 44th or 44th to 54th, depending on which way you're and going. I saw Ross Smith, another section, Ross right? Smith, and then there's Nicholas Blodgett. Wow. Nicholas Blodgett was killed uh, in July of 2004. Eric was june of 2005 and then ross smith was december of 2006 and these are the three boys from wyoming and and uh we've gotten an old family since then and we you know gold star families were they say we're a special unit it's a group you don't really want to belong to but we're there for each other when we need each other his name eric burry specialist uh, out of wyoming graduated from kelloggsville high school joined the army was there for a couple of years. He was deployed to Iraq and killed in action in Baghdad on June 7, 2005. He was a parachute rigger assigned to the 623rd Quartermaster Company, 82nd Airborne Division, the best of the best at Fort Bragg, uh, North Carolina. And Eric made the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our country. And, John, uh, my best to you and your family. Uh, I thank you for coming in. I know it's not easy. Uh, but what I like to do is keep the legacy alive yeah. of our fallen heroes because the one thing that's common in all family members I meet who lose somebody from law enforcement or the military is they want them to never be forgotten and yeah. let their legacy live on forever. Yeah, I think when I say it, I think I say it for all that have lost a loved one in the military or through law enforcement. That That is one of our fears is that our, our heroes will be Forgotten. Never and forgotten. We don't want no, them to be no, forgotten. No, no, it won't won't happen. People like Johnny Brand Sr., Tommy Brand, Mike Brand Sr., the Brand family, and so many others. I think the yeah. majority of people in West Michigan, this state, and this country have a place in their heart for men and women in law enforcement and the military who protect us, who serve this country, and who make the ultimate sacrifice. And yeah. God bless Eric Burry. Twenty one years of age, died in Iraq on June seventh, two thousand and five. John Burry, his father in studio. Thanks for sharing the story. Thank you very much. God bless you and God bless America and God bless all of our troops who are serving, have served, and those that are willing to serve in the future. You're listening to Huge Show Conversations with Gold Star Families here in Michigan as they talk about the legacy of their sons who made the ultimate sacrifice fighting for our country. At Mercantile Bank, we believe in empowering the communities we serve and that financially strong individuals and families are vital for building strong communities. 
That's why we're committed to providing budgeting tools and interactive resources designed to help you take charge of your finances. Our friendly staff is always here to help answer questions and provide solutions to help you reach your goals. Call, stop in, or visit us online at MerckBank.com to learn more. And let's help you make today count. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Bill Simonson here for Roast Umber Coffee. It's a farm direct coffee sourced from Central American farmers and roasted in Grand Rapids. And their nitro cold brew coffee is a convenient and healthy option with no sugar or additives. So if you want a great coffee or energy drink to power you through your morning and your day, it's available in ground or whole bean or in cans. More information on the website and direct delivery to your door at roastumber.com. They say consistency is the key to success. They weren't wrong. So how about grabbing a beer that's consistently smooth, consistently refreshing, and consistently light? You might just find that the road to success can be pretty enjoyable. Michelob Ultra, the perfect balance of taste and refreshment and only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Enjoy responsibly. Anheuser-Busch Michelob Ultra Light Beer, St. Louis, Missouri. You're listening to The Huge Show on the Michigan Sports Network. On today's broadcast, we look back at my conversations with Gold Star families in West Michigan about their sons making the ultimate sacrifice for the United States of America. I've come across incredible stories of courage, duty, honor, love of country, uh, connected to great men and women uh, wherever I've been uh, doing this radio program. And a special family that's close to my heart, uh, the Warson family, uh, they lost a son, they lost a brother, uh, they lost a grandson. Navy Special Warfare Operator, Second Class David J. Warson, died in August of 2012, serving during Operation Enduring Freedom. And that's a big key when we talk about veterans. And you go back in history at the root of what they are doing, what their commitment was all about was fighting for freedom. David was 27 out of East Kentwood, Michigan. He loved the game of soccer. He loved his family. Uh, He loved his friends. And he was assigned to a West Coast-based Naval Special Warfare Unit. He died August 16, 2012 in a Black Hawk helicopter crash northeast of Kandahar, Afghanistan. David's spirit still lives on. And the way I get connected to the Warson family goes back to just when David Warson was commissioned as a Navy SEAL. Uh, His father, uh, his stepmother, and also a relative, I think it was a niece, stopped in to Mongolian Barbecue on 28th Street. We were doing a fundraiser, I think for neurofibromatosis, and a gentleman stopped me. And he said, hey, how you doing? Uh, my name's David Warson, and I want to thank you for your support of the military. We thought we'd come out and support what you're doing. He also told me on that day, he said, you need to read a book called Lone Survivor. Make sure you read it. It To a T, it tells you what a Navy SEAL is all about. Well, then when we get to August 2012, I'm doing my radio program from the Tee It Up for Kids charity golf outing at Eagle Eye. And Sean Ellis from the Southland Ottawa sends me an email. And he said, hey, at the end of your show, could you pay tribute 
uh, to a guy who used to work for us, a Navy SEAL who died in Afghanistan earlier this week by the name of David Warson. And I said, and I emailed him back, you bet, I'll give him a nice tribute under the show. Well, then something was going off in my mind, like, boy, I know that name. I know that name. So I do the tribute. I go out to the parking lot, get in my car. I check my phone. I look at my email archive, type in David Warson, and up pops an email from his father saying, hey, it was cool to meet you. Thanks for what you do. Don't forget to read Lone Survivor. And at that moment, I picked up the phone, and I gave David Warson Sr. a call. Still had that number. Still had all the information. And said, I'm so sorry for your loss. Well, we got together on air through the Grand Rapids crew and soccer and did a broadcast and paid tribute to David. This guy loved his family, loved his country. He loved his friends. He loved life. And he also loved the game of soccer. And now David Warson Sr., who I call a good friend, along with the Warson family. They're extended family. They're everywhere. Uh, the Warsons. They're, they're like their own little military outfit. You need to get to know them. They're special. And David Warson Sr. joins us in studio here on the huge show across Michigan. Good to see you, my man. Very good to see you. First thought you have when you wake up every morning and you think of David. Smile comes to my face. When something like this happens, as tragic as it is, um, you have a choice. You can be upset about it. Or you can decide to wake up and celebrate his life and what he gave us in those 27 years of life. Why did David Warson want to become a Navy SEAL? What inspired him at what point in his life? And again, he died at 27, so still a young man, David. Did you hear from your son, seeing your son, that he had this dream or goal to go fight freedom or fight for freedom? Well, David was always driven. He went to a a few colleges along the way and played soccer, loved soccer. but A big strapping guy, by the way, too. I mean, David looks like a guy that would be a linebacker on a football team, not your typical soccer player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then when he went in, he just kept getting bigger and bigger. Um, But he came to us um, and said, hey, school is not the thing for me. I want to be challenged. Um, I want I want to be challenged, and I want to be the best of the best, and I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. What age was he at this time? 24. And so he went and started training for it, and he never looked. He never looked back. He succeeded. And getting through buds or Navy SEAL training is maybe the toughest course known to man. Correct. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this. I've been around a lot of team guys, and they're they're all fantastic. They're all kind of from the same mold. You're talking the Navy SEAL team guys. Yep, Navy SEAL team guys, and and they're they're unbelievable. Um, but I've had several of them come up to me that have been in the teams for a number of years, and said to me, "You know what? We have unfortunately way too many deaths, but your son, being a new guy on his first mission." He said his first deployment, he said he was unbelievable. He was the best of the best. What change did you see in David when he was going through this Navy SEAL process, training to be one? 
uh, when he finally was commissioned, and I've seen those photos when you guys were out in Coronado, California, what was the biggest change you saw in your son? Never wanted to let anybody down. I always wanted to be the best no matter what it was. From being a, a, a son to being looking forward to being a husband to, to being a friend, um, David loved everybody. Um, neat thing is we, we met a, uh, his chaplain when David died, and David had a uh, conversation with the chaplain um, before he died and um, over in Afghanistan. And the chaplain went to us and said, hey, when a Navy guy comes to me and wants to talk, it's usually trouble, meaning marriage troubles back home, whatever it may be. He said, your son sat down and talked to me, and he said, I couldn't be more proud. He says, I'm doing his funeral, but I know where he is because he was a man that loved God. Well, where did he get this, I guess, GPS to follow this path where you talked about his inner strength when his love of family, his love of God, his love of life? Huge Lions fan, too. I saw those pictures with the Lions jersey. He loved his uh, Lions. Uh, but where was this born and bred in? I mean, you're his father. Were there friends? Was there something that happened earlier in life? You know, I, I wish I could tell you that I could put one finger on it. I, I really can't. Um, one thing that you can say about our family is that um, everything that we could be accused of is loving somebody too much. Um, but he had it within him. Um, I can tell you, Aaron, Kyle, and Ryan all have it within them. If, his brothers. His brothers. If if you want to know David, you know 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 those three boys because uh, they all come from the same mode. They're all driven. You know, and where does that come from? You know, I I don't know. I, I give them a lot of credit for stepping up and being the men that they are. David Warson Sr. is joining me in the studio. His son, uh, David J. Warson, at the age of 27, out of East Kentwood, Michigan. He died in a Black Hawk helicopter crash northeast of Kandahar, Afghanistan. And you told me the story that they were on their way back to base, and they got a call that something was going on in a canyon, and they made that turn, and that helicopter never made it back to base. No, never made it back to base. And, um, you know, when we first heard, we heard that it was maybe mechanical troubles or possibly got shot down, ended up did getting shot down by a rocket launcher. Um, they did stop their mission. Uh, when something like that goes down, you know, the biggest thing is to recover the bodies. That's first and foremost. So another helicopter uh, came in to recover the bodies, right, fellow SEALs? Yeah, yep, yep, fellow SEALs. They stopped everything. And, um, yeah, made sure that they, they brought them all back, and which they did, of course. I can't imagine your pain, David, when, uh, I guess, the Navy sends, is it like we see in the movies, that a Navy car shows up or military, put, and they knock on your door? Does it work that way? Did it notify you in advance? No, and, it, you know, when this happened, we weren't exactly sure what was going to happen. Were we going to get a phone call, or was somebody going to stop by? Um, you know, the house. Who told you that something had happened to David? Well, here it is. We had some, we come from a blended family. David has two dads and he's got two moms and, and they're all incredible. 
um, Stephanie, uh, my wife, was in the hospital. Um, was in the hospital um, for like three weeks, and so Navy had to get to um, Patty, my ex's wife, uh, house. And they had to find us. Well, they came to our house. Navy came to our house, not there. So they went and started to knock on neighbors' doors. And neighbor said that we were up in the hospital. So this whole telling us was delayed because they didn't want to tell um, Patty before me. So they had to coordinate that together. So up at the hospital for me was all of a sudden somebody knocked on on Stephanie's hospital room door. And I'll never forget it. It, um, I'm making all the phone calls because we heard earlier in the day that there might be some trouble. And so I'm making all the calls, trying to find out what I can find out. A nurse comes in and said, hey, there's some people here that want to see you. And I'm kind of irritated. I'm like, well, if they want to come in and see, just walk in the room. So I come walking out of the hospital room, looking down the hallway, and I don't see anybody. So I start walking down, or I ask a nurse, where did they go? And they're like, hey, they're down here in the the visitor room. So I started walking down, and it hit me. I did a 180, and I turned and got Stephanie um, out of her hospital bed and um, started walking. And I wanted to prepare her because she was pretty sick. And I said, hey, I'm just letting you know, Navy's here, and that's not going to be good news. And she actually fainted. So now she's fainted. We get her up in a wheelchair. And uh, that walk down that hallway, knowing that Navy is going to tell you that your son has died, um, is unbelievable. And you turn that corner, you look in the room, and you see two white uniforms. And hearing that, that your son has passed... Yeah, it's the worst thing, and it's the worst thing you can ever imagine. And you probably think of your last conversation, whether it was an email or phone or whatever they could do to communicate from Afghanistan. What was your final conversation with David about? Um, coming home soon. He was on one of his last missions. Um, he was. He notified us, and um, what people don't know is a couple days prior to this. He was in another helicopter crash and survived. So he was calling us to let us know, hey, this might make the news. We're all all right. Um, But I just wanted to let you know. And he was looking forward to coming home. We had a uh, we had a a wedding that was uh, we were planning. And uh, so that was one of the last conversations about his crash, that he was all right and that uh, he'd be coming home real soon. David Warson Sr., his son, David J. Warson, died on August 16, 2012, serving during Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. David's joining us in studio here on The Huge Show across Michigan. And you mentioned from that point forward, even with a heavy heart, which still sits in your chest today, you've celebrated his life. What's the best thing you've heard about David since he died that really inspires you every day? I don't know if it's one thing, but it's the vast majority of people that David touched in his 27 years of life here. He grew up in Kentwood. That's not a long time, because if you think about it, you're you're adult, quasi-adult, somewhere around 18, and 27 means there's about a decade of touching people's lives, right? 16 to 27, give or take, right? It, well, exactly. Um, and, and we're just a normal family in Kentwood. 
and you think about the lives that he's touched. I'm not exaggerating. He touched around the world that we've heard, and he had great things planned that we had no idea in the lives he touched. So I, I can't say it's one thing, but just knowing the people that he touched, how he touched our family, um, that there's no better person. On this day, David, we're paying tribute to those who have served, uh, those who serve today, and also those like David that made the ultimate sacrifice uh, for this country. My best to you, my man. Uh, we'll be in touch. Give Steph my best, the boys, the Worson family, the extended Worson family, which covers most of this country. Uh, it's it's an honor uh, to be a part of your lives. And I never met David Worson, but I feel like I know the man. I really do. I tell everybody I never. People say, "Well, you sound like you know you knew him." No, I didn't know him, but boy, I know him now. I do. I know him now, and then the way everything is crisscrossed and the different paths from that day when you sat there at Mongolian Barbecue on Twenty Eighth Street with Steph and I think your niece, who now goes to Michigan State, right? Niece Brooke, yeah, yep. definitely. And, and you talked about you know read this book, yeah. And when I read the book, I said this needs to be a movie, Lone Survivor by Marcus Luttrell. <laughs> and lo and behold, <laughs> and then it's a movie, and we're all on that stage in front of over five hundred people, yeah, at Celebration Cinema North. And not only are we celebrating David's legacy, but Bobby Thrillkill. He said, you know what, let him stand up. And he got that thunderous ovation. Crowd went sit down for about five minutes. And he's the Marine. And just again, I thought to play the Bobby Threlkill interview, have you in studio. My man, we'll talk soon, okay? We'll do, and we thank you for everything you do. You don't need to thank me. I always say that. Well, let me tell you, you do always say that. But it's your voice that gets out and really gives credit to these veterans and the people that gave their life. So you are a huge piece of that. And yeah, but you know what? I've partnered with Johnny Brand Sr. And you know from yes. David's flag flying at the Brands on Leonard to that ceremony to Johnny being a part of the golf tournaments to Johnny being there at the Lone Survivor thing. Tell you what, you know, there's a reason why we're close friends. That guy cares more uh, about the military and the police than anybody would ever know. He, that's another special guy. Johnny Brand is absolutely fantastic. And his place on Leonard Street, he put a uh, flag up in memory of David up on his building. There's a picture of David inside it. Absolutely fantastic. Good man. Good man. You're a great man. Wonderful family. I know it's a tough day, but 11-11. 11 11. That is, that is kind of crazy. You keep telling, you tell that 11 11 story all the time. I do. I think it's one day true. I was at your house and I had to leave and it goes 11 11. I can't leave now. I got to wait till it's 11 12. I can't walk out right now. David Worson Sr., thank you and God bless uh, David Worson Jr., okay, my man? Thank you. You're listening to Huge Show Conversations with Gold Star Families here in Michigan as they talk about the legacy of their sons who made the ultimate sacrifice fighting for our country. Huge here for my good friends on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So you have the chase for the NBA rings going on right now. Some unbelievable action. And they have an offer for new customers who are listening, who download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code HUGE when they sign up. Because those new customers then can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, everyone can score a no-sweat same-game parlay every day during the NBA playoffs. Just open the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game. If your bet loses... 
they'll give you a bonus bet back up to the amount of your initial bet, up to $10. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code HUGE when you sign up. And new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's only on the DraftKings Sportsbook app and only when you use code HUGE. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Gambling Disorder Helpline at one 800 270 21 and up in Michigan only. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Opt-in required. One bonus bet issued based on amount of initial losing NBA bet. Eligibility wagering and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. You're listening to The Huge Show on the Michigan Sports Network. Bill Simonson back here on the Huge Show across Michigan. If you missed any of our Gold Star interviews, you can listen 24-7 at thehugeshow.net. I do want to thank Superfly Hayes for all of his hard work putting together these interviews with these Gold Star families who are still dealing with the pain of losing a son. Think about that man who stepped up and said, I want to serve this country, and then they gave their lives for the freedoms of we enjoy today. So on behalf of the Huge Radio Network, Superfly Hayes, his family, and mine, we salute all the Gold Star families all across Michigan and across America.